Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Welcome to the latest edition of Cannon Fodder here on the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie hey. and the Professor Smoke. What's up? Will couldn't be with us. He uh, he decided to duck out for legitimate reasons. I'll just say that. But see, he's on he's on assignment. We'll, <laughs> we'll just put it that way. He's not he's not here this week, but he's, he's going to miss a good one. Or is he? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, basically, the point of the Cannon Fodder series that we do here on the All-American Spook Show is to kind of go through the canon films catalog of films and this one is a slightly different pull now the way we always come to the kind of come to the conclusion what we're going to watch for canon fodder is basically we all kind of nominate a movie kind of throw it in the hat spin the wheel and come up with a movie well this one is actually one ironically will's not here he nominated it the only reason i explain all this so deeply is that this one's kind of a weird connection to canon because it wasn't produced by canon it was only distributed by canon uh, theatrically in other countries. So here in the United States, it was put out by 20th Century Fox. So this is kind of a joint effort kind of thing where it's Columbia, Canon, Warner, uh, Gladden Entertainment associated with Canon Screen, Canon Screen Entertainment. So all that to say is that like this isn't as much of a connection as we normally have with Canon. This isn't like a Golden Globus production. This is just something that they distributed overseas. So. That is why it's on cannon fodder. So it's connected, but it's a loose connection. And we, we fully admit that. This is the first time we've done one like this. But if nothing else, it opens up the possibilities for cannon fodder to do other movies that canon released this way. You know, when we kind of just want to break free of the Golden Globus umbrella, so to speak, and, you know, go in a, in a slightly different direction. It kind of opens the door for us to do that. So, uh, but I'm sure... Maybe we could loose cannons or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty. On these episodes, they're just called loose cannons. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, there's a connection, but it's loose. Um, but yeah, I, we're gonna have a little bit later on. We're gonna have our usual um, Canon Chronicles with Austin Trunick. Now he's the author of the Canon Film Guide, and we always have him on to give his two cents on the Canon movies that we're talking about. I'll. Uh, uh, he sent that in to me earlier. I will say off the top, I have not listened to it, so I don't really know what he's got to say about it. And, and I'm sure he doesn't have as much information on this one that he normally does for the Golden Globus productions because that's kind of his uh, area of expertise is kind of diving more into that, you know, hundred and something, you know, movies that Golden Globus produced for canon and not so much the movies that they just distributed worldwide. So we'll see what he's got to say here shortly. Uh, but before we dive into that and, and, and our little roundtable thoughts and everything, two things. Number one, most importantly, we are a spoiler-filled podcast, so if mm. for whatever reason – you have not seen Mannequin in the last 35 years or so, and you want to watch Mannequin, hit pause, go find it. Good luck finding a copy of it, by the way. This is one of, the, this is one of those ones that's a little harder to find a copy of for some reason. But go, go find a copy of it. Go check it out. Come back and hear our thoughts on on this uh, latest edition of Cannon Fodder. Also, we encourage you to go over to aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the Spook Show universe. There you can find our YouTube channel where we have uh, monthly series such as Grindhouse Gutter, Spook Show Rewind, Hammer Horror, In Order, all that's over on YouTube. Uh, you can also reach our uh, podcast archives. Pretty much every episode that we have ever done is there. You know, you can access it through aaspookshow.com. And, of course, one of the bigger things that you can also access there is our Patreon, 
which is patreon.com slash show. We have monthly videos, other cool stuff, and of course every month we do Craftster Peace Theater. And uh, who knows what uh, you, you people vote for. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the latest herd that you vote for for us to watch that, and that'll be coming up later this month. So we encourage you to uh, join us over on patreon.com slash show and go check out com. So before we get into uh, Austin's thoughts and everything, I'll go ahead and toss to the trailer. Jonathan Switcher Wrong sex. loves to talk to his work. You know, you're the first thing that I've created that made me feel like an artist. Don't you like a new scarf? He never expected. Not especially. To hear it talk back. I really think I'm going crazy. I am so glad you're working here. I never thought they'd hire anyone stranger than me. You're the only one who could see me like this. To the rest of the world, he's a disaster. You're quiet. And she's a dummy. Ow! You were one sick puppy. But together... Hey, don't do that. You weren't so shy when you were creating me. You weren't so real. They make magic. <gasps> Look at him with the dummy. Who are you to criticize? And that new stock boy. I just want you to keep an eye on him for me. I think I'm going to handle things my own way. All the girl mannequins disappeared from the windows last night. Film at 11. Yes, my dear, your favorite. She is gone, too. Get him! You are magic. He's talking to the dummy again. Andrew McCarthy. Kim Cattrall. You know I would never bother you when you're getting a piece of wood. Mannequin. All right, there's that. So I guess, you know, we won't waste any time. We'll go ahead and get straight into uh, uh, Austin's segment. So here we go. Canon Chronicles with Austin Trunick. Hello, Spook Show listeners. Austin Trunick here, here to talk about 1987's Mannequin. This was a movie that Canon picked up and distributed throughout Europe and much of the world. And it wound up being a pretty big hit. In the United States, mostly, which happened to be the one place where Canon did not distribute it. Whoops. Fox put it out here, but at least Canon was able to use their domestic box office numbers when they were selling the movie to overseas distributors. One of the funny things about Mannequin and Canon is that it opened on the same day as Over the Top, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie, which was one of the biggest and most expensive movies Canon ever made. Mannequin wound up beating over the top at the box office on its opening weekend. Mannequin was produced by Gladden Entertainment, which was owned by David Begelman, a producer who had been fired from Columbia Pictures in the 1970s for forging checks and embezzling thousands of dollars from the studio, a scandal that didn't stop him from having a very successful producing career throughout the 1980s. Now, this project was originally conceived for an older star, an older star, an older actor, maybe someone specifically Dudley Moore, which I think would have made it oh, probably unintentionally creepy. You don't want to see an old man rolling around on the floor with a half-dressed mannequin. At least, I don't. Andrew McCarthy's convincingly dopey enough for me in this. He's a charming, good-looking young actor, but he does give off some loser vibes, too, now and then, which is pretty necessary for this part. He's kind of a perfect middle ground to me between a late 80s Rob Lowe or Robert Downey Jr. on one end and Anthony Michael Hall representing the other. Now, who I do love in this movie more than anything is James Spader, who just goes for it. He gives this totally goofy and fun performance as this stuck-up, pretentious antagonist. I mean, he played several preppy assholes at this point. Preppy assholes were kind of his thing early in his career, but it wasn't like he was a character actor. And yet he gives this wonderfully wicked comic performance in this movie. He just goes for it. He's, he's silly and goofy and fun. And it blows my mind to think that this came just two years before he did Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Now, I won't drag on too much here, but I know, the, cause I know, I know you fellas have a lot to discuss. It had been quite a while since I last watched Mannequin. But I always forget, I always forget how tame it is. There's really no nudity in this movie, and the language is pretty reserved. I mean, there is non-stop innuendo, but the movie still earned a PG rating. 
it was made for teeny boppers and i'm actually kind of impressed that they pulled pulled the movie off with this premise pulled, made a movie that's i mean it's really okay I, wa I watched it with my with my kids around and it wasn't really too much that was too objectionable now if if canada actually produced the movie themselves we'd have had topless mannequins running around in every scene and they'd have treated it like a low budget sex comedy uh it would have been a very different and my my biggest complaint about the film has to do with the ending so consider this a spoiler warning and gentlemen, please feel free to cut this part out if you'd prefer. But Mannequin is a fairy tale made for young teens, so of course it had as it has this perfect fairy tale ending, where Emmy magically becomes a real woman permanently thanks to Switcher's true love. It's a it's a very neat neatly wrapped ending. But deep down inside, I wish there was a version of Mannequin where that didn't happen, or at least the ending was left more open-ended my favorite parts of this movie are when other people are reacting to switcher interacting with a dummy like they don't they don't see her alive they just see her as this you know inanimate object this mannequin and they see her like things like he, he's riding around with it on the back of the motorcycle he's kissing her in the bathroom and some of these scenes make me wonder what if switcher was crazy after all what if she was just a dummy and he was she was only alive in his head now yeah what what if he imagined she was real and this was like a i don't know lars and the real girl situation that would have been a very different movie obviously but i think that that would have been interesting and they could have kept the movie a lot of it the same and just not brought her to life at the end and not had that beginning and they could have they could have made it into something else that's probably not the right idea they probably went the went the right way with it but i do kind of want to want to imagine and fantasize about this alternate <laughs> the alternate mannequin movie where uh andrew mccarthy's a nut anyways uh rating wise i think i think mannequin is cute and fun i I don't have the nostalgia factor for it that many fans do. I did see it when I was young, but it wasn't something that I went through, went back for for repeat viewings. I, I'm going to give it a 2.5. There's a lot of fluff. Uh, for example, the Boris and, Boris and Natasha style shenanigans from the ex-girlfriend and her co colleague Armand. Or the, those kind of are a real drag for me that, that I don't love... I don't love those characters, those scenes, and they're in a lot of the movie. And a kind of stuff like that makes the movie middle of the road for me. I, I, I had a lot of fun revisiting Mannequin. It, I do think it's enjoyable and silly, but it's, it's not one that I'm necessarily rushing back to see again anytime soon. And uh, I think with that, I, I have said all I have to say for now, but I am out Thanks again for having me back, and I'll see you all next month. Well, Austin, we thank you for your thoughts there, and, and uh, th there was some interesting tidbits of information there, but I think the best thing is him pitching a, a better idea there. <laughs> I can't I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the depressing ending about mental, mental yeah. illness as opposed yeah. to the comedy. <laughs> as, uh, that would have been a dark turn, That that's for sure. <laughs> you know, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't really cross my mind when I was thinking – yeah, mostly I was thinking when it was over, was like, all right, well, that's over. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about how you could have made that darker or more interesting, but that's a good point. But yeah, as far as the background information that I have a little bit here on this one, we've got, uh, I thought this was an interesting alternate title, by the way. The working title for this movie was Perfect Timing, <laughs> which I, you know, I think they went with the right choice, Mannequin, right? That's, you know, the better yeah. title. But it was released February 13th, 1987, so... Uh, ironically, uh, here on the calendar, we're, we're pretty close. We're not dead on, right? I mean, cause this comes out here today on February 6th, but we're only about a week away from the anniversary of the release of this movie. And I think the, uh, the release of that February 13th, that's a perfect time to release a movie, you know, a, a romantic comedy, obviously, right? Good timing on their part, but yeah, we, we usually just kind of stumble into these, uh, anniversaries yeah, too. Well, I mean, what 1987, that was, was that 35 years ago? No, no, it's 36 years ago, right? 36, yeah. 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 I know, now we got to think about 2023 when we're at Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We're, <laughs> yeah. 
So <laughs> we just missed that. But yeah, thirty almost 36 years ago to the day when it came out. But it was uh, produced by Gladden Entertainment, 20th Century Fox, and also distributed by 20th Century Fox. And we went through that whole thing where Canon Film Distributors released it worldwide. It was filmed in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on uh, from March 17th to May 10th of 1986 in a couple of uh, department stores or spots there in Philadelphia. It was directed by Michael Gottlieb, who he would, uh, unfortunately, he has passed away. He passed away back in 2014, but... Uh, he would best be known for uh, Mr. Nanny, <laughs> that Hulk Hogan classic, <laughs> a kid in King Arthur's court from 1995. And, um, of course, Donnie, this is one of your favorites, Playboy Midsummer's Night Dream. Straight up. So he was, he was known for that. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, r- real real high brow stuff there from old uh, Michael Gottlieb. <laughs> and this is probably his highlight, to be honest with you, if you look through his whole uh, filmography. Uh, it was written by Gottlieb and uh, Edward Rugoff. And it stars Andrew McCarthy, Kim Cattrall, and Estelle Getty. I, man, I had completely forgot that Estelle Getty was in this movie. Like, <laughs> Same, yeah. It was a it was a surprise to see her. And I, I should add too, before we go further, like this was one of those ones that these this movie is one of those ones I remember playing on like local TV. Like you know, here's the Saturday afternoon marathon. Yeah. This was one that used to play a lot. Maybe it was on HBO, Cinemax, one of those. And so this is one that I've seen quite a few times, but I probably haven't seen it since the early nineties. Like, you know, it was in my mind. I remembered it being funnier and better than it was when I like actually sat down and watched it again this time, you know, like I'm, I'm not crapping on it, you know, we'll get to our ratings later on, but like I remembered it a little differently than, you know, the way, the way it is presented to me now, you know? Um, but, this cast, I mean, it's an impressive cast, you know, for, for what it is. I mean, granted, you know, it's not like it was Canon making this, this was 20th century Fox. So I'm sure that played into them, the, the level of talent that they were able to get, but you've got Andrew McCarthy, Kim Cattrall, Estelle Getty, James Spader, GW Bailey. Remember from uh, the police Academy movies. Oh yeah. 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 He, he's in it. Uh, Meshach Taylor, tons of other, uh, you know, like character actors, people you were like, Oh, it's that guy and that guy, you know, stuff like that. So, um, Lots of, uh, I'm sure, uh, Donnie, you've got your handful with a couple of connections a little bit later on, right? I'm sure you, a little bit, you got a couple. <laughs> yep. I won't even get into that, but yeah, I mean, great cast. Uh, you know, it kind of is what it is. It was uh, done for a budget of six million, which I guess you see that enough on the screen. You know, <laughs> it's not like there's major major league special effects or anything afoot here, but um, it it ended up grossing. I mean, it was a hit. It ended up grossing forty two point seven million dollars worldwide. It released, like I said, February 13th of, uh, of 1987. That weekend would be known as President's Day weekend slash, you know, Valentine's Day weekend. So I've got the uh, I've got the top 10, if you guys are interested, from that weekend in 1987. Number 10, Radio Days. Number 9, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. I, I, had to, I had to stare at the Roman numerals for a four. second. Were, what is that? Four? <laughs> IV, right? That's four. Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Uh, number eight, From the Hip. I, I, you got me. I, I don't remember that one. Number seven, Light of Day. Number six, Crocodile Dundee. It had been out for a while at that point, by the way. It had already raked up almost $150 million at the point this came out. Oh, I want to make a prediction. I bet uh, Full Metal Jacket's in there somewhere. Mm, Maybe, I, no, we'll I'm, not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it here. Um, number five. the top uh, I really, I honestly don't see it, but something close to that is about to pop up. Uh, number five, Black Widow, not the Marvel Black Widow, but something else. Uh, number four, mm-hmm. Over the Top, just like Austin was talking about it. It had made, it made five point one million in its opening weekend that same weekend. Number three, this is crazy. Mannequin beat it out. It beat out Over the Top just slightly. Over the Top, five point one million. Mannequin opened up at just over six million dollars. So. One of the few times that you could say, I, I would think in retrospect that Mannequin beats out over the top, but I guess it depends on who you're catering, you know, the crowd you're catering to, right? I'm sure certain people are like, fuck yeah, Mannequin's awesome as opposed to over the top sucks, you know, but not here on the spook show, I don't think. Uh, number two, Outrageous Fortune, and number one, Platoon. So you were close with the full metal jacket thing there, but not quite. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was up with that. I know it came out in 87, so I, I guess it just... Uh, I don't know the timing of it. Like, I, I don't see it here. Maybe that came out a little a little after that, but I don't even see it like further down the list. Like I've got the top 18 here. I don't see it, so... Well, this is the week of, though, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the weekend that... 
that particular weekend <laughs> that it opened. So maybe a little bit. I'm not sure when Full Metal Jacket came out. Maybe a little later in the year. But yeah, Platoon was uh, Platoon was the big winner that weekend though. So those are always interesting to pull out. So do you guys have any other uh, little background tidbits or anything you wanted to mention before we uh, dive into it? More the director of well, actually, I guess he was more of a uh, producer of video games than he was a director of movies. So that's not there was he had more than a handful of video games that he uh, produced or executive produced, including like Paperboy. <laughs> And a bunch of Mortal Kombat games. And, you know, I, I, I don't remember if we actually uh, spoke about this, but the uh, the opening, uh, the animated opening. Yeah. Like, I don't think oh, yeah. I've seen the movie all the way through until before the show, because I don't remember that opening at all. I didn't remember it until I'm sitting there watching it, and then I, I remembered it. But, like, dude, I'm telling you, man, for me, this has been, like, it's been 30 years since I sat down and watched this thing. Like, this is <laughs> yeah, one this I probably not- watched five or six times when I was a kid, and, like, you know, Kim Kim Cattrall, uh, how yeah. you were saying it? Dude, she, yeah, she was smoking hot. And I even remember f- feeling that way when I was nine or ten years old watching this, like, oh, yeah, here we go. You know, like, <laughs> those early days of, like, you know, feeling that way. But, yeah, I, I that's about as far back as I remember. You know what I mean? Like, the early days of feeling that way. That's that's a nice way of of, of putting uh, that she was uh, an early crush. How about that? Oh, yeah. oh yes. A, the early days of sliding down the fire pole. <laughs> it's a, uh, I'd say it's a close tie between her and Phoebe Cates at the time. Yo. You know, oh, when, yeah. right. yep. when I'm 8, 9, 10, 11 years old and you're just starting to discover such things, I'll say. <laughs> You're like, that's the short, you know, that's the short list know. right there, buddy. That's the, the early list. days of feeling that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did mention G.W. Bailey as uh, you know yeah. uh, the captain from Police Academy. Yeah. Uh, Kim Cattrall was also in uh, Police Academy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I didn't think about that. That opening scene, talking about that, I remember remarking to my wife that they, they missed out on a great opportunity to use uh, like an Egyptian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, you know what? I thought about that. And then for like uh, yeah. four days, I had that shit stuck in my head. <laughs> and now you just <laughs> did it again. I'm sure we'll get Purge. into it here in a minute too. But like most of the soundtrack of this movie uh, seems like to me, it felt like rip off versions of like current eighties music of the time. It felt like it was like, yeah. you know, wish versions of Chicago and stuff. <laughs> is what it, True. Except for the, like, what was the, the final song? The one that's the one. I guess I don't know if it was made for the movie, but the one that was in the in credits. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of the name of it now, but it's the main one you think of that yeah. you heard after this movie <laughs> and other places, or before the movie too. <clears throat> Nothing's gonna stop us now. Yes. Whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever the hell. The, maybe that was the name of it. I don't remember. Was that but, yeah. Jefferson Starship? Was it? Yeah, uh, I think it was. Probably about right. I don't. know. Who cares? But. That that was about the only legit song. Maybe that one at the beginning with the animation, that might have been legit because it kind of sounded like uh, I don't know uh, what was I thinking when I was hearing it, like a Joan Jet esque. I mean, this is without pulling the soundtrack up at all. But like by and large, though, the, throughout the movie, it always felt like some rip off version of a Chicago song or something was about to play, and then you know they I guess they spent the budget right there at the end with that song, right? <laughs> they must have. They must have because. Uh... Now that was very similar to Canon. You know how Canon doesn't really, they didn't really go True. for like mainstream songs. Yeah. Cause you know, they, they had to spend their money on other things, but that aspect that they have in common with Canon when they made this movie, it's a, one theme song that you can maybe remember. And then the rest of them are knockoff song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand with a parade of items to tempt your taste. Hot buttered popcorn, golden good and fresh from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich and full of flavor, ice cream and other good things to eat, plus ice cold Coca-Cola. So bright, so bracing, with a taste and tingle all its own. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out the service. So I hopped on over to Audible, and I just typed in mannequin to see what would pop up. And uh, we, we got a few things. I, I was surprised that we came up with even this amount of results. But we've got, obviously, these have nothing to do with this movie. They're just mannequin or something in the title, right? Uh, Night of the Mannequins, which actually looks kind of like a, a horror horror book of some sort. By Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, that one's almost exactly three hours long, so you got that. 
Uh, let's see. We've got uh, The Mannequin, a Victorian romance by who is a Suzanne G. Rogers. That one's almost seven hours long. And we'll wrap it up with the, uh, what is this? The Collapsible Mannequin by Charlotte Matthews. That one's almost six hours long. So, yeah, I don't know about any of those, but if it <laughs> if it sounds like something that might be up your alley and you really love mannequins, then uh, there's some selections for you. So we I know you. Donnie's going to order some of those. Yeah, Straight up. he probably yeah. already has at least one of them. Uh, mm. But to get your free copy, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio book. So I'm going to hop on over to IMDb and click on plot summary and see what pops up. And holy shit. We've got we've got one two three four. Well, There's only four, but this one is like a book. I tell you yeah. what, it's so long. I'm gonna read it. Oh, God damn. Yeah, just oh, for, I hate just, it when you do. This. Just for you, Donnie. I'm gonna read. It. I hate it. When <laughs> you do this. Here we go. Let me get a sip of water before. Ah, all right, here we go. This one was uh, submitted by Huggo, so one of your pals, Donnie Huggo. Mm. In Philadelphia, aspiring artist Jonathan Switcher is unable to hold on to any job and, and always putting his artistic spin on whatever he's doing above all else. In coming to her rescue, Jonathan is hired by Claire Timken, the owner of struggling Prince and Company department store, she relying on her senior manager, Richards, to place him within the organization, which he does at Stockboy. In befriending the store's flamboyant window dresser, Hollywood, Jonathan is not only elated to be able to see his favorite mannequin, one, while he was working in a mannequin factory, he created in the image of his perfect woman, but that it, she, miraculously comes to life only to him. She is Emmy from 2000 BC Egypt, <laughs> who prayed to the gods to find her true love. And Jonathan falling for her, Emmy becomes his muse in creating renowned window displays that turn the fortunes not only of <laughs> Prince and company around, but Jonathan himself, who becomes arguably the most valued employee at the store. These changes do not sit well with many, including Roxy Shield, Jonathan's ex-girlfriend who works in the executives at successful rival department store Illustra, who not only wonders why he couldn't be a success when they were together, but is worried about Illustra and thus her own fortunes. Prince and Company's night watchman Felix Maxwell, who knows that something Jonathan is doing is torturing his faithful and normally vicious watchdog Rambo. It really being Emmy changing from animate to inanimate in front of Rambo's eyes, and Richard's who truly is a mole for illustrious CEO B.J. Wirt, Prince and Company's financial problems orchestrated by them so that Illustra could purchase it for, for a song. They all begin to believe that Jonathan and Prince and Company's success is pre predicated on his seeming favorite mannequin, who will do whatever it takes to destroy it. So there you go, Donnie. I hope you're more well-informed in what the movie was mm -hmm. about and what was going I'm on. I'm now awake. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's two others on here, and they're pretty long, too. I just went yeah. to the longest one. That, that's crazy. There's somebody yeah, wanted to go that deep and deep into this plot <laughs> to explain things and, and still didn't really explain much. Uh, yeah, it's you almost, know, they took they took the time to do it. You know, and you mentioned 2000 B.C., uh, you know, all uh, that horseshit. It's 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 kind of <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of hard to uh, to get Kenya to watch, uh, you know, these uh, these movies with well, me. This is 1987. And, you know, it's not. Yeah. No. She's this, like, oh, this... is that 1987 B.C.? <laughs> like she. <laughs> because you know she she doesn't watch anything that's older than her, so she always brings it as well as it 1987 BC. Yeah. So did she watch it with it? <laughs> no, not okay, at all. Okay, well no. there you go. What about that at the beginning? For some reason, I remember this making more sense <laughs> than it actually made. Like you know, like in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, well there was a reason she was she became a mannequin. But as I'm watching this, I'm like. No, this doesn't make any damn sense at all. Like, what? No. <laughs> she's just like a, a princess or something in, in ancient Egypt, and then all of a sudden, a lightning bolt zaps her away, <laughs> and then uh, now she's a mannequin. Like, what does the mannequin have anything to do with it? Like, why does she become a mannequin? <laughs> why does she? I mean, I, you know, I had honestly forgot all about that. Regardless of the animated opening, I forgot all about the Mexican. I'm mean, the Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> the Egyptian, like, I was thinking, oh, Aztec mummy, Aztec mummies all Mexico, Oh, yeah, no. okay, okay. I forgot all about the Egyptian mummy thing at the beginning. So completely, that that was the main plot point of how she came to life. Yeah, but it made no sense. Like, she's, no, she's hiding in a tomb or something, right? And then she has says some quick player, please God, or prayer, please, please God, 
help me find my true love, something like that, like something to that effect, right? And then zap. Yeah. And then yeah. And that, that was a, you remember how that was happening in the eighties a lot with the comedies and just a lot of movies in general would have this sort of random open like this to like explain some shit that was gonna go on. And it was a it was a given back then. You can't do that now. Just yeah. like you can't do a montage like they do in this movie either. They yeah. montage. Oh yeah. Not to kind of read too much into this, but I do remember a certain, and I didn't make a, did not make a note of it because who gives a fuck? But um, there is a, there is a spot within the uh, when she's talking about that she had been to different times. Yeah, she had like, been to different this is the times, one that she had settled time periods, and maybe maybe during then they explain it. But I, I don't, don't recall I don't it. Think so. I just remember that. I think there's zero explanation of. <laughs> okay, I get it. She is a princess and she's zapped through time. Okay, that's that's a little silly, a little loose. But okay, I'll go with it. But where does the mannequin <laughs> thing come in? Like why? Why is she turned into a mannequin? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was on the uh, cutting room floor. I mean, not to make. You know, try to make too much sense of it. I mean, it's just a silly. Come on. it's just a silly rom com. But yeah, I mean, like, listen, if you're gonna read like a six minute plot summary, <laughs> but that take the time. Like, that's my problem. Is that <laughs> didn't explain it any better. I was yeah. hoping for maybe like, well, let's hear what this guy has to say. Huggo fucked us. Yeah, nothing good. Yeah, you know, I kind of like Austin Trinick's idea better of of, of that explanation I, of like absolutely. going down that route. <laughs> absolutely. Austin made a made a, I think he made the call of the day there. That would have been that would have been something. <laughs> how about how many it's times like they, they said you they, can see it? You can see it in certain points of the movie where you know where you're supposed to see it. In other words, where he's discovered with this, where you know the first time you see it, you don't know what's going to happen. You, he's dancing with her, right? And then Hollywood comes in, and then you expect Hollywood to see her dancing with him. You know, oh. He, but no, you know, that she turns back into the mannequin as soon as he sees her. Then that becomes a plot point. And you can kind of see there, like, they kind of went there, like, okay, he's, it's going to be that kind of thing where nobody sees it but him. Yeah. So it's there. That that seed was there where everybody thinks he's crazy or whatever. But he's, you know, it's not. It's real. She's coming to life or whatever. So, yeah, they could have explored that. would have been pretty damn awesome. Actually. Obviously, like he said, they went the right way in terms of, like, just trying to make it a romantic comedy, right? Like, let's just wrap it up <laughs> You know, riding off into the sunset, you know, instead of <laughs> that would have ended with like him slobbering in a mental asylum or something, you know, <laughs> Rambo or Ter- like said, they're becoming Frank, uh, Frank, I can't remember his last name right now in Maniac. Exactly. That it would have been like that. Yeah. Uh, how about how many, uh, how many times they use biscuit brain? <laughs> there was at least, <laughs> at least three or four times throughout the movie. Somebody's called a biscuit brain. <laughs> Was there a brief time when this was made in uh, what 1986 when it was filmed that biscuit brain was a thing that people were calling each other? I don't remember. Maybe I was too little. Along with the neo maxi zoom dweebies and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> How about when he's at the beginning when he's got various jobs and he keeps getting fired for being a fuck up? <laughs> and he's like a what a balloon animal guy or whatever the fuck he is. He's working kids' parties oh, yeah. and he hands this massive balloon to a kid and the kid floats away. <laughs> That's <was> stupid. <laughs> Well, speaking, speaking of things that are very unrealistic, such as, well, a mannequin from Egypt or somebody from Egypt. <laughs> a mannequin you know, coming to life. Yeah. Mannequin, and uh, kids floating away on balloons. How about the uh, hang gliding in the mo- in the apartment yeah. store thing? <laughs> <laughs> I love that one, though. That's hilarious because it it's clearly like, I think at one point, I, obviously, you know, she's holding it. So, like, if anybody sees her other than uh, Jonathan, she's going to turn into a mannequin. But I think there's a point yeah. there where she's floating around and no one's looking at her. But she's still a mannequin. <laughs> I guess because it, you know, they didn't want to put a real person on the hang glider, so it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's clearly perfect. a fucking mannequin. <laughs> Until you know, right before he hits or she hits uh, uh, Felix, the security guard, and then yeah. obviously she's a mannequin then. But yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of Felix, Felix's dog's name, the the bulldog was Ram- uh, Rambo. Oh, Ram- Rambo. Yeah. Right. Then the German mm-hmm. Shepherd he got later was uh, Terminator. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt that the the casting of uh of you know Lieutenant Harris from Police Academy that was a bit on the nose. Like I once again that was yeah. another thing uh you know GW Bailey. That was another thing that I'd forgot about that that yeah, me too. that he was in this. Yeah. But yeah. you know as soon as he shows up like in the security outfit, you instantly think Police Academy. So maybe that's what they were going for, right? You know, maybe they're like, well, 
we can put him in this, that's going to instantly make people think of Police Academy. Police Academy was a big hit, you know, big comedy hit at the time, you know, from years before. So they're like, you know what? We can put this dude in a security outfit, put him in the trailer, and then that might get a few extra, you know, asses in the seats. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's connected to Police Academy in some way, you know. Yeah, because Police Academy, I don't remember the years on that movie, but, I mean, they made quite a few, six or seven of them, and they were still going on at the time. This oh, was absolutely. On, I yeah, like, I want to say the first one came out in, like, 84, something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah something like that. So yeah. They were probably well within, like, you know, at least the second or third one by the time this came out. I mean, they're, they're, I think overall there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun to be had with it. It's very 80s. <laughs> very 80s. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it is what it is, but it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very 80s movie all the way down to, like you mentioned, Smoke the montage, like it yeah. movies back then, and, and maybe uh, uh, kids today they they wouldn't understand it unless they start watching eighties movies. You know, like that was just a thing, yeah. man. Like there was always a fucking montage in the movie. That was just their yeah. pl- that was their plot device to move things along real fast. And I'm, I'm personally, well, because of the nostalgia factor, I guess I'm personally a fan of that of the uh, of that in eighties movies. Of course, yeah. I, you, you know, you can't really do it unless you're doing a retro eighties movie. Even yeah. doing a retro eighties movie, though, it's like you're a uh, you're trying to be meta or you're trying to be ironic or whatever. Like in the eighties, yeah. it was completely unironic. Is this what oh, happened? No, they were, yeah. The, like the even in, it, this is a comedy, even in dramas back then. Right. And more yeah, serious okay. movies, there'd be a fucking montage. I always think of Rocky four, right? Like, the yeah. training montage. Like that's a, that's yeah. a more serious movie. And he's, there's a fucking montage. I think when we watched the, the, the most recent song too, for, that's where you're, that's where you want your main song to be. So in mannequin, it wasn't yeah. necessarily, I don't even know yeah, what the yeah, song usually was. Right. <laughs> I was thinking, like, I know we've probably watched some movies that had a montage in it since then, but the only one that's popping into my head recently was when we watched Popcorn. And remember, that was, the, oh, yeah. let's clean up the movie theater. And then <laughs> and yeah. there's the montage where they're all dancing around to some reggae music while they're cleaning the, but it was like every other movie, you know, like, oh yeah, if yeah. not every damn movie had a, had a montage and yep, and there it was right in the middle. You know, I was thinking as we were watching it too that like there there was a similar premise to that movie Major League to this, not the mannequin part of it. The let's run this store into the ground so we can buy it aspect of it. Remember Major League? That was the whole thing. Like, oh, let's make the the Cleveland Indians. Let's make the team suck so we can buy it or it can be sold. Yeah. Right. Whatever. How about that that mm-hmm. car chase where the car gets stuck in between the building? <laughs> yeah, it's just like it was. I don't know. <laughs> Like, not only did it get stuck, stuck, it, it got stuck in, in the alley, it, like it launches into the air and gets stuck. So it's a car. <laughs> That's probably a good portion of their budget right there. Just like, how, like, <laughs> how are we going to get this car stuck up in between this alleyway, the brick, the brick alley? <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately, though, when you get towards the end, why the hell were they chasing him? Just to hire him? Remember, like, they, they start chasing yeah. him and... Yeah. And uh, he's Felix. Now he's working for the other department store, and now he's got like an army of security guards, and they're chasing Jonathan around. Why? <laughs> because he he, I guess he has well, they, the mannequin, or he has the okay. But I don't what know, their ultimate fucking... goal was? They wanted him working for them, right? That was why mm-hmm. Illustro kept coming for him as they. Yeah, his ex girlfriend thing or whatever, and all that. Yeah, yeah that there building, was that that, that, that that department store, or whatever, wanted them to do their. Window dressing originally, right? Because yeah, he was yeah. making so much money for the other store. So why do they come so fucking hard at? Like they're chasing him, like you know, like gonna beat him up and and kill him and shit. But meanwhile, really, all they wanted to do was just hire the guy. So like that aspect of it didn't make any sense to me. I'm sitting there like watching this silly chase. You know, it's like slapstick. They're all falling around on each other and shit. And I guess that's funny. But like ultimately, what are they gonna do if they catch him? Like, oh, now you're hired. <laughs> you have to work for us now. You know, like, what the fuck? <laughs> How did she become a, a a human? Was it because they kissed? Like because they fell in love? Now um, she can now she can be human. What? How did? I mean, because like, remember, like the, she's ma- she's in her mannequin form. She's going up into the trash yeah. compactor. He catches her, and then she turns back into her human form. And then he pulls her up, and she's like, "Oh my god, I'm human! Every he can see me." Like did I, I, know, miss yeah, that? I thought it was like maybe she would be. She it's her decision who she wants to. You know, spit like for whatever she's trapped in this man. Well, not even she. He made the mannequin. I don't know. A lot of it just doesn't really make sense. But the fact Cuckoo. that her putting her spirit into something from back in Egypt or whatever was like seemed to me like she had to choose who was going to be her love. She went on through all these different time periods and she couldn't find the love of her life, and she kept 
Yeah, she met she met Michelangelo now, and now, some other horse shit. Yeah. yeah. So now she finally got the love of her life, but then she seemed just as surprised as everybody else that she was yeah. human. He can see yeah, me. I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get what the where was the moment? Did I miss something there? Where was the moment where like you know, because clearly they they were in love. Clearly they they had they had sex right earlier in the movie. But her about to yeah. fall into a trash compactor is the moment where she becomes human. <laughs> I don't know. No, I I don't know a lot about this. Oh, the, how about that part though? At the end, after that, after the you know that part when uh who was it that was like a like a uh, cleanup guy or whatever it was like yeah. Saw the mannequin, yeah, saw the her, has a mannequin, then human, and he's looking in there for his own mannequin, and then yeah. he finds the ex-girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, he finds Roxy. But the goofy, like, thank you, God. Yeah. The goofy, that was funny, <laughs> but the goofy part is they tried to do the same gag twice, because remember, he goes to the trash, finds her, oh, thank you, Lord, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. But then, at yeah. the very end, he jumps in again. So, like, it's like, all right, well, that you already did that. Let's not do that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was stupid a minute ago. Like, it didn't get that, any that kind of funnier now. Like a kid, you know, a kid tries to like see something's funny. They do something and they it's funny, and then they try to do the same thing again. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, <laughs> I got a big laugh. Let's let's try to get that laugh again. Nope. All right. Well, just end the movie. <laughs> we don't do uh, you know this is not a horror movie. This is cannon fodder, so we don't do uh, gore scores and and uh, kill counts and all that. But we 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 still definitely have cannon connections. So Donnie. Cannon Connection. Boom goes the dynamite. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. Um, Pat Ryan uh, plays the uh, pizzeria manager um, mm-hmm. for, you know, one of Jonathan's jobs, which he's had a lot of fucking jobs, man. I Myself, I've had probably like 80 or 90, um, <laughs> but I've only gotten fired from like maybe a handful of them. Anyway, Pat Ryan plays uh, the pizzeria <laughs> manager. Um, and he was also in a past spook show episode of uh, street trash and mm-hmm. invasion USA. I remembered him instantly from street trash. Yep. So I was alluding to earlier. I didn't want to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, on the crew side, uh, this is, uh, well, yeah, here's, here's actually a, it's, it's kind of an interesting connection. Um, Tim Sherstedt, um, who is the cinematographer, um, for mannequin. He was also the cinematographer for critters, hmm. which we, you know, covered a long time ago in the spook show archives. Yeah. I was like um, 12 or something. It's been a while, while quite a while back. Yeah, also the same stunt crew for, uh, I'm sorry, some of the same stunt crew for Mannequin um, was also in past book show episodes. Um, the Evil Dead from 1981, the original. Um, Tells from the Crypt, Demon Knight, and Goodfellas. You know, we've come this far into it, and Austin mentioned how good James Spader was. And he was, by the way. Yeah. He was, I mean, like, for a silly you know, nerdy, stuck up kind of executive type of role from the eighties. He, I think he knows, you know, I know that's very specific, right. But, um, I think he knows it. Like you said, he went for it. He had a good time with it. But another one that we haven't really talked about here that really went for it was Meshach Taylor's Hollywood. That dude stands out. I mean, like, you know, underrated. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's, uh, to me, he's one of the reasons I remember this movie so well, other than just Kim Cattrall being hot as fuck, but (laughs) Meshach Taylor, like he, it's a, it's a role that you remember, you know? You know, you wonder too if, like, maybe when was In Living Color came out early nineties, yeah. and the uh, the exactly. men on film, the men on whatever, you know, when they do yeah. the snap thing and all that stuff, like, you wonder if that whether there was some inspiration. I, I, I wouldn't, oh. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. That yeah. there was some connection there. Now, you know, he he went on to be in what was it? Um, oh Lord, what was the name of that show that he was on forever? Designing Women, wasn't he on that? Yeah, yeah Designing yeah, Women. Designing Women, yeah. He was also in one episode of the Golden Girls. So uh, him and <laughs> Estelle Getty have one connection there. There you go. That's interesting. Uh, all right. So I guess that's a, uh, we don't do our normal star ratings when we do cannon fodder. No, we do cannonball ratings. And you heard Austin's earlier when he did his uh, Cannon Chronicles segment. He gave it two and a half cannonballs. So Donnie, how many cannonballs are you going to go with? That's actually a really good um, um, 
spot. And I, I have the, the same rating, uh, two and a half. Um, I don't particularly want to see this movie again. Um, uh, usually my, whether it's stars or cannonballs, uh, usually my, um, my rewatch rating is, uh, at least three. Um, but I'm, I'm, Probably good for another, you know, 10 or 15, 20 years uh, before I watch this one again. Uh, yeah, I definitely remember it from the 80s. It was, uh, as Austin has said, it, my, my nostalgia factor for it is not as high as, as uh, say, Over the Top that we mentioned that came out at the same time. And then mm-hmm. this movie be, barely beat out of the box office. But I mean, I ha- and uh, you know, I haven't seen it as many times as Over the Top or many of those other 80s movies. But I did see it more than a handful of times. Like you, like you said, too, it was on HBO or whatever. Wherever it was, it was on some station for they on repeat, right? Yeah. But yeah, so I do have a little bit, maybe a little bit more of a nostalgia factor for it than uh, than Austin did. But you know, it wasn't one of my favorite. Even back then, of course, it wasn't one of my favorite comedy, eighties comedies or whatever. Uh, I'll probably go though. I might bump it with. I might go with two and three quarters because we're doing a canon, canon scale sliding scales a little bit more. If we were doing this outside of the canon, it'd probably be a little bit. It'd be less than that. But uh, I'll go with two and three quarters. I'm going to go even slightly higher than you guys. I'm just going to go ahead and give it a solid three because I, I think there, you know, it, it, for me, there, there's, uh, you know, some nostalgia there for sure. This is one that I, I'm not going to say I watched it a lot, but you know, I probably saw this four or five times back then. Cause it was one that just always got played. seems like this. I'm like, you know, early nineties, I watched this one and like revenge of the nerds Two, <laughs> nerds in paradise, you know, movies like that were just, and weekend at Bernie's and other, uh, uh, Andrew McCarthy movie, right? Um, yeah. But like, th- these were movies that just played a lot. So like, there's that nostalgia factor of like, well, it's on, I'm going to watch it because I know it's kind of funny, you know? Um, so uh, there's fun, there's a good fun to be had. It's corny. It's definitely corny as hell, but you know, it's for eighties rom-com. It, it definitely feels like it's, you know, fairly up high for me. Just, just for, for something that I remember so well. So I'll go ahead and just stay at three cannonballs. And of course, that is also running in with the knowledge that there are far worse movies that we're going to talk that about here true. on Cannon Fodder. So, <laughs> this one, uh, trust me, trust me, this one is fucking awesome compared to some of the ones that we're going to watch <laughs> as the years go by. So, so there you go. It's, I, still, it's hot chili, though, right? I mean, oh lord, hot chili. <laughs> What'd you say? You said it's not as good as or better than hot. What'd you just say? <laughs> Jesus. I said it doesn't hold a candle to hot chili. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. No. I'm speaking facetiously, of course. <laughs> yeah. I would only hope so. Someone that was involved with hot chili is out there just heard you say that and said, well, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> and, they're, and they're possibly still making like 10 cents off of it somewhere. That was um, the director saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so without doing the math, I'd say right now, without Will's rating, we're probably sitting around two and a half cannonballs overall for this one. So we'll get his two cents eventually and see what his rating is. And we'll, we'll give you a, uh, more of a consensus number on that at some point. But um, as far as the uh, experts, quote unquote, were concerned with mannequin um, over on IMDb. Well, obviously this is audience and expert opinion. IMDb rating, it gets 5.9 out of 10 stars. And that's with over 33,000 ratings. Metascore zero to 100, 21. So that's, <laughs> that's probably closer on par a little bit with what we said, maybe a little bit on the lower side and over on Rotten Tomatoes on the tomato meter, 20%. And that's a 40 critic review. So that's, that sucks. That's low. <laughs> and then the audience score was higher. Surprise, surprise for this 55%. I think it's mixed results, but I, overall, I think you get about where we were with it. You know, it's, it's kind of mid, you know, middle ground, about two and a half mm-hmm. is probably about right. So that's where we'll leave it. But, uh, onward and upward to bigger things, hopefully next week. And, and next week we have smoke's choice. It's his turn in the rotation and you get to pick an older movie smoke. So, what are you bringing to us? Yes, yeah, since it's uh, that episode should be hitting the day before Valentine's Day, I'm going to go with a Valentine's theme movie, and it's probably not the one you're thinking of. There's a big Valentine's old school horror movie that we haven't done yet, and we'll get to that one at some point. But this one, I wanted to go a little bit deeper into the archives, you might say. It's a movie called I'll I'll I'll, t- I'll give the title that I like the best under first, and then I'll give another alternate title. It's Hospital Massacre. I always thought that was a great title. It's a great grindhouse sounding title. Uh, another title for it though is X-ray. Uh, that was a bit boring. That's a bit boring of a title for me, but 
But uh, at any rate, it's very loosely connected to Valentine's Day. But still, it's still there. There's some elements. We'll find out what those elements are and uh, how much we like. You know, I don't know how. Oh, first of all, have y'all seen this movie before? I have. Yeah, I have not. No, this will be a first time watch for me. It's been forever. Like I, I was talking, we we're talking kind of offline about. It. I haven't seen this movie since probably pre 1992. That's when I graduated high school, and so those early video watching days from 92 and before sometime in there, that's the last time I've seen it. So it almost be like a new experience for me. Well, and this one also will be interesting too, because we're, we're going to get two different ratings on this movie because this is a Canon movie. Shit, so, I forgot about that. I didn't even think about that. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's fine. What we'll, I think the way we'll do this is we'll mm. give our regular rating, like what we would say, compared to the shining reanimator, all that, you know, the horror rating. And then we'll give it a Canon. We'll give it a Canon rating. And we'll, we'll try to see if we can get Austin on for like a bonus uh, Canon Chronicles for this one, since it is a, a Golden Globus production. So yeah, either That's way, good. yeah, I yeah, think it's a good, good pull. Point. It's a good follow up to Cannon Fodder. Um, good pull for Valentine's. All together, I think it's a good one. And I'll read you the brief IMDb synopsis. While receiving a routine checkup, a woman finds herself stranded on the hospital's eighth floor, while someone dressed as a doctor is intent on her never leaving. Even if it means killing any staff member who comes into contact with her. <laughs> so there you go. There's. <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting choked on it. <sighs> X-ray, aka hospital massacre. So we look forward to that next week, and uh, we, we got some other big stuff coming up in the month of February, and we're we're fastly approaching episode 150. Uh, we we haven't quite pegged down exactly what we're going to be doing for that, you know, quite yet. We'll let you, you'll be the first to know for sure, either that or over on aaspookshow.com and all of our socials. But we got, hopefully we can get something pretty cool, something fun lined up for that one, because that is a big milestone episode. So yeah, that that's it. And we'll get Will's uh, thoughts next time he comes back on. So for him, Donnie, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we will talk to you next week for X-Ray. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.